comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. No. I think this is a comic. No. We're doing this. No. Hello, and welcome to Blind Buy, a Bargain Bin Adventure. Me? You may recognize my voice from the Whedonverse podcast, or my failed attempt at a voice acting career. Don't look that up, please. I go by The Clairvoyant. It's not my real name, but it's probably what you know me by. And before you ask, no, I can't see the future. Blind Buy is one of the ideas I've been tossing around for months. Now that the WP is on a temporary hiatus, I finally get my chance to experiment. So what exactly is Blind Buy? Well, I'm an idiot. A masochistic idiot. As a result of this, I went to the local discount goods store and picked up five random movies from the bargain bin. It was under $10. Now, I plan on reviewing these movies with no prior knowledge of their contents, aided by my co-host Bloody Brody and a myriad of guests both familiar and new. I expect it to be painful. But why should I have all the fun? If you like those movies that are so bad they're good, you're in for a treat. At the end of the season, one lucky fan will win all five presumably terrible DVDs reviewed in the first season. Contests are surprisingly expensive to host, and I'm still working out all the details. One thing that won't change is you can find all the contest details on our Twitter, at BlindBuy, and our Facebook, slash BlindBuyPodcast. The contest is open now, so go ahead and enter, or even better, enter your friends. Keep in mind that, no matter where you live, this sweepstakes is bound by Canadian law. Because of this, you'll be required to correctly answer a skill-testing mathematical question. I'll try to make it easy. So without further ado, let's talk a bit about the movie we will be watching today, meet our co-host, and begin. Bloody Brody and I first shared the podcast airwaves together on the Whedonverse Podcast's episode 14, where we discussed Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, Bad Eggs. If you've heard the episode, you probably came to the conclusion that Brody and I aren't very smart. It may then come as a surprise to you that we are both avid readers. I like delving into deep fantasy worlds for months or even years, preferring works of authors like Stephen King or George R.R. R. Martin. Instead of escaping the horrors of the modern world, Brody likes to face them head-on, preferring authors like George Orwell and Franz Kafka. When it comes to book recommendations, there's only one author we agree upon, a man who combines long, flowing epics with real, everyday problems, Victor Hugo. 
known for my personal favorite book, Les Miserables, Hugo later earned a reputation with the younger audience for a Disney animated classic based off one of his books. This is that same story, but not that same Disney classic. Let's meet our panel for today. The Clairvoyant and Bloody Brody versus The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Fight! Alright, I'm joined here with my lovely co-host in his beautiful white dress, Bloody Brody. So, how are you, Brody? We didn't get a chance to meet you, so tell us a bit about about you. Well, I'm bloody, so my dress isn't quite white. <laughs> I'm currently doing this, and I'm currently making music. Making music? You're, you also do poetry as well? I count that in making music. That's fair. That's fair. So let's talk a bit about what we're going to watch. So you are a fan of you know gorgeous animation, as am I. You're a fan of Victor Hugo. Oh, yeah. And you're a fan of excellent writing and voice acting. So so are you yeah. are you excited to watch The Hunchback of Notre Dame? You have no idea. <laughs> One thing uh, a lot of people might not realize, Quasimodo is based on a real person. Really? Yeah. Apparently really depressing <laughs> yeah this guy was doing research on victor hugo's life and then he found out that there was a blacksmith that was working i believe it was a blacksmith working at the notre dame and he was hunchbacked the blacksmith lived in the same town as victor hugo and so that's probably how they met and even the original character named jean valjean from les miserables it used to be different and it was actually the blacksmith's apprentice's name so they definitely were aware of each other so that's your fun fact for the day wait that's not fair I've read the book. I'm supposed to know more than you. <laughs> now, the movie itself, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's a 1986 movie. It's 52 glorious minutes long. <laughs> it feels a bit longer, I, I must admit. <laughs> I have to say, I like the menu screen music right off the bat. It, it was pretty. There's, but I know one thing I noticed, no special options. There's play, and there's scene select. <laughs> scene select. And scene yeah. select had six scenes. <laughs> I, I I actually never clicked scene select, but I can imagine with like fifty six minutes. Yeah. So then, if once you click play, the movie <laughs> it jumps right into it. Uh, we start with a little shot of a large Gothic cathedral. Uh, we can probably assume is the Cathedral Notre Dame de Paris. Like my pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we quickly cut to a hunched back figure among the gargoyles, who we can assume is, of course, Esmeralda. <laughs> yeah, Esmeralda's looking pretty haggard in the morning, gotta say. That's the, the legendary Quasimodo. So this immediately, I start getting a vibe. I don't know if you got the same vibe. This is feeling very uh, early 60s Scooby-Doo. Yeah, actually... Even the zoom in on the castle before you even see Quasimodo, unlike Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I don't know if Scooby-Doo was early 60s or late 60s, but did it feel like Scooby-Doo? Just the music, everything. The whole thing. The animation. So our uh, deformed hero is uh, watching a gypsy woman dance in the square, who we can assume is La Esmeralda. I call her Ezzy. Ezzy. <laughs> and then we immediately cut to a dark angry-looking authority figure uh, with a lantern. We could probably assume is our archdeacon and villain, Claude Frollo, watching Esmeralda. And keep in mind, this is all within the first under 45 seconds of the movie. So it's cut after cut, and you don't know what's going on. 
This is like their way of introducing characters. Yeah, and I mean that's impressive in under forty five seconds. But they don't really introduce the character; just like their physical appearance, and you just kind of assume. Yeah, it's like <laughs> this is what they look like. Yeah, uh, and then we get a shot of Quasimodo waking up. I guess though we never saw him. <laughs> it's a dream. The whole movie is a dream. But it must not have been because then it zooms in on uh, Frollo's lantern that is still left there with the most ominous cheesy music. <laughs> so then we go to opening credits. So let's remember these names so we can mock them as we go. First thing we get is Burbank Films Australia presents and this doesn't feel Australian. Right. The voice acting isn't really Australian but... Maybe the studio is Australian? There's gotta be some tie. Unless they're like, I, we want to be Australian. Let's be Australian. <laughs> yeah. They woke up one day and were like, we're Australian. Burbank Films Australia is just a name. <laughs> They're based in, like, Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> then the first name we get is the legendary Tom Berlinson as Quasimodo, my favorite <laughs> Canadian nobody. I saw a picture of him. He's a cowboy. Oh, God. A little spoiler about Quasimodo uh, and uh, Tom Berlinson himself. I am in the mood to kind of light his head on fire and put it out with a barbecue for <laughs> Tom Berlinson is not my favorite part of the movie, so let's move on. I he was the selling point for me. <laughs> then we got Angela Punch McGregor as Esmeralda. <laughs> punch, Punch McGregor. Hey, Punch, you want some punch? That sounds like Zap Rouse now. That sounds like a fake name, like an action star, Punch McGregor. It's like you need attitude. We'll put punch in there. Yeah, her name's just Angela McGregor, but they threw punch in there because it sounds cool. But now, now you have to say the middle name. Yeah, you can't just. <laughs> it's not just Angela McGregor. It's punch. You don't even know how to say Angela. <laughs> just punch McGregor. <laughs> yeah, punch becomes the first name now. <laughs> yeah. So Esmeralda in the book is actually <laughs> uh, born Agnes, if I remember correctly. So what a different story that would be. <laughs> It's such an unattractive name. Agnes. So uh, then we got Ron Hadrick as Frollo, or Frollo. <laughs> they say it differently in the movie. Uh, he's dropping the Claude, apparently, because Claude. Let's ignore the fact that uh, Ron Hadrick is a member of the Order of the British Empire, a member of the Order of Australia, and has the Equity Lifetime Achievement Award, because that hurts <laughs> to think about. Wait, that voice actor of Frollo? Frollo. Yeah, he's like a decorate. Like he's got like no. that list of letters after his name. No, stop. <laughs> I don't know why they dropped Claude. I like Claude over Frollo. Yeah, makes me want Yogos. So uh, then it also says with Richard Meikle, Philip Hinton, and Rick Hunton. As who? <laughs> Even the movie doesn't care. So. <laughs> <laughs> you get to guess. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that they're literally everyone else. So, music by Who Cares, uh, but screenplay by Eddie Graham. <laughs> think, just think of that. The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo and Eddie Graham. The most American name. <laughs> Not even Australian name. Just good old Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, no director, because even, even Alan Smithy's like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> And so that, those are our players. That's our cast of characters. Though that's not everyone. That's not even all the major characters. But that's who they threw us, so that's who we're going to make fun of the most. Well, keep in mind, this movie has 
one or two major characters that they decide to drop mid-movie. That's, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what the hell happened to good old Pierre? <laughs> so back, back to the film itself. We get some gorgeous, beautiful, uh, god-awful animation of Frollo just angrily walking through the cathedral, uh, angrily greeting monks, angrily praying at the cross. <laughs> Wait, we're gonna we're gonna miss the fifteen seconds of black screen. <laughs> fifteen seconds. That's painful. Was it, is it fifteen seconds? It is. I counted <laughs> one one thousand, two one thousand. It was fifteen seconds. <laughs> I'm like, is the movie over? <laughs> Introduce three characters, end credits, and then black screen. <laughs> That's a if only. <laughs> so. uh... Yeah, he's uh, we we get the impression immediately that Frollo is an angry man. <laughs> he then uh, suspiciously and angrily looks around before angrily descending steps to his <laughs> secret anger lab. And every time something, whenever he looks suspicious and looks into the camera, it zooms in. <laughs> yeah. Just to pronunciate that he's the pronunciate. villain. Pro- no, not you know what I mean. <laughs> What do you, so what do you think he brews in... Punctuate. <laughs> what do you think he brews in his alchemy lab? Distilled anger? Uh, I was thinking meth. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen how skinny he is? <laughs> Quasimodo, we need to cook. <laughs> so, uh... He angrily sits down to work and angrily professes out loud to no one that he can't concentrate... Because he's got uh, too much heaven on his mind, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's uh, apparently in a hate-fueled uh, love with Esmeralda. Hate-fueled love. <laughs> and so he suggests kidnapping her to himself out loud. <laughs> may, may I say that every time he talks about Esmeralda, first he starts with something really sweet, but angrily. It's like if someone else said it, it would sound really aww. But then he follows... With a rapey vibe line, like, I, all I can have is her on my mind. I'm going to steal her. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I would walk to the ends of the earth for her. I should kidnap her. <laughs> I will lock her away. <laughs> then we get a useless shot of Quasimodo tolling the bell and looking like an idiot. Hey! Just looking... He's beautiful. Looking, looking absolutely moronic at the dumbest look on his face. And then we cut back to Frollo brooding. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> There's his scene. <laughs> Frollo then yells, like, Quasimodo, where are you? Because uh, apparently he's deaf and couldn't hear the bells upstairs. <laughs> he then uh, says again to himself, There's no use in shouting because Quasimodo is deaf as a post. What? <laughs> I like how they but, added that. Well, but, it is... Stupid. Like, why would he shout? Why was he shouting? But... And he is the one who couldn't hear the bells. <laughs> well, it is a good way to put that into the movie, though. Like, you don't but... know he's deaf until it's said. That's true, but holy sh- that was bad. Yeah, I know. It, you could have went around it so many better ways. Like, the hundred of other times they mention he's deaf. <laughs> so, uh, here is... Here's our big moment. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> So Quasimodo makes his grand entrance into the alchemy lab and asks Frollo if it's time to eat. <laughs> so Quasimodo, let's talk about Quasimodo's voice. It's gorgeous. Because I, I alluded to it earlier. 
Quasimodo's voice sounds like someone defecated into their own hand <laughs> and then ran their untrimmed fingernails down a chalkboard. <laughs> no, see, I always thought that Quasimodo sounded like he took a huge hit off a bong and held it in and then just recorded all his lines. And then he took an exhale and no smoke came out because it all got absorbed by his lungs. <laughs> I th- it's like... It's like you took Frankenstein from Young Frankenstein <laughs> and a metalhead punched him in the throat with a studded <laughs> wristband and then asked him to do his best impression of Sean Penn from I Am Sam through his laryngectomy <laughs> hole. I was, I was going to say it just sounds like someone without like that smoker hole. I, I think that's the same thing. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Oh, it's, it's like Sloth from the Goonies... Eating barbecued hiccups. I don't, I don't know what you that. Say hiccups. <laughs> Ew. Do you smell that? Oh, that's just that's just Quasimodo hiccups. <laughs> because that's the only possible way he could get that voice. It's like Jim Cummings if he had asthma and then ran a mile. <laughs> it's one of the the ponies from My Little Pony doing an impression of Ryan Stiles doing Carol Channing. Honestly, though, if you breathe in really deep like you were taking a hit off a bong and then spoke that is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like basically it's a bad sloth from the goonies goodness sounds like this <laughs> that's not, that's <laughs> not wrong okay so that's that's that then we get some uh, useless dialogue about how something something kidnap esmeralda which isn't useless i guess because it's kind of the macguffin yeah. but uh, we then cut to the uh, the streets of Paris. So uh, there's a, a foppish man who's probably Pierre Gringoire uh, in the streets, professing his love for Esmeralda to himself, because it's one of those movies. And then it pans over to uh, Esmeralda and her pet goat, uh, Jolly. I like that goat. Jolly. I liked him in the Disney movie. <laughs> he That's a smart goat, though. I want yeah. that goat. Yeah. So do you think Gringoire, Pierre, do you think he's Richard Meikle, Philip Hinton, or Rick Hutton? Philip. Correct answer is who cares? <laughs> Jeez. Smeralda <laughs> scolds Jolly for eating trash, much like we're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then they walk on with their terrible walk cycle animation against a kind of, kind of pretty background. Yeah. It's all like, it's like, like, like Scooby-Doo. And some older Looney Tunes and stuff. It's like where it's like those hand-drawn painted backgrounds and then they like drew someone over top to the point where you know what's going to happen next because there's something that's not part of the background. It's like if they put like a green screen inside of an animation and the green screen's animated, but it's like a still animation <laughs> and then they animate on top of that. Yeah. I just incepted myself. <laughs> So, on uh, Frollo's orders, Quasimodo pulls Esmeralda into an alley. Oh. <laughs> Frollo's like an old-timey villain in this. Like, he's like very like, meh, he's got pasty white skin, chalk white. He looks... He's Dracula. Like Count Chocula. <laughs> Hence the myth that he's alchemying. Alchem... Alchemon? Al- Al- I don't even... I don't even know. <laughs> so, uh, good old Punchy gives her best uh, unenthusiastic cries for help. And 
then our local fop runs up and sees the scene play out. So actually, to be to be honest, I kind of like Angela Punch McGregor's voice. She was probably the best one, I'd say. She, I mean, she wasn't really into it, like with her help, help. But oh, yeah, she no. had a good voice. <laughs> it is better than Tom Burlington. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Gringoire attempts to help and fails miserably and immediately. What a wuss. I know. You know, he looks like um, the one character, the sailor on uh, Sweeney Todd. Uh, Anthony? Yeah, I put him and Anthony in the same category. They try <laughs> way too hard and never get anywhere. Well, Anthony almost did. So, as a Frollo slinks in the shadows, a guy dressed like a Disney prince version of Robin Hood rides up and rescues our lovely Esmeralda. He orders Quasimodo arrested and proclaims himself Captain Phoebus de Chateaupère. I hate that name. Phoebus? Phoebus? Hate it. Phoebus, it's the name of a god. Don't matter. <laughs> the god of the sun. Yeah. No. So he he flirts with Esmeralda a bit. He calls her young lovely, which is <laughs> Eddie Y. <laughs> he's he's got a swag on. Imagine Imagine Eddie writing this and they're like just typing it up and he's like then Phoebus calls her young lovely. Oh, that would win the ladies. <laughs> he underlines Young it, circles it five times. This, this is, is the Oscar-winning phrase. I'm taking this to the bar. Oh, I should do that. Actually. All people young, lovely, don't. Yeah, it's not gonna go, work. No, I'm gonna go to a bar. I'm gonna, hey, young, lovely, and then they're all gonna look at me, <laughs> then, either in a good way or a bad way. <laughs> one girl <laughs> will be like, "Oh, from that <laughs> Hunchback movie." I'm like and you. <laughs> you click. Yeah, it's. The perfect matchmaking line. You give her your card because you made cards for a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> it has my number on it, but I don't know why, but you can listen to me. Uh, so he kind of insults her a bit. He implies that she's a thief because she's from uh, the Thief Hollow, which I wrote down later, but I'm too lazy to look. Uh, she's not a well-written enough character to care. <laughs> Esmeralda? <laughs> What do you mean? Because well, he's like, he's like, oh, that's all thieves and beggars. And she's like, oh, you silly man, you're wrong. <laughs> Doesn't even um, attempt to. He bids her adieu and rides off, though she begs him not to. And walks away with a dumb-looking goat. <laughs> and claims that Phoebus is a beautiful name. And a beautiful man. And a beautiful name. And what a beautiful man. Jolly, isn't that a beautiful name? <laughs> I would take him over Pierre, though. Yeah. Honestly. She just keeps he's, he's... talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, she needs to stop that. <laughs> then uh, Gringoire laments out loud that he has lost Esmeralda and says to himself, Poor Pierre Gringoire. Out loud, to himself. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's kind of a pussy. <laughs> Yeah, he's like he's like you. Oh, actually, through the whole movie, I was actually comparing myself to Pierre Quasimodo, and I hated every Holy minute shit. of it. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> that's why I hate Pierre and Quasimodo. Actually, I don't hate Quasimodo, but I hate Pierre, and that's why. I hate Quasimodo. I feel sorry for Quasimodo. I can't. Why? He's beautiful. 
So, did you know that Gringoire was also a real person? He was a poet. Makes sense by how. A poet and a playwright. I don't know how the actual Pierre would feel <laughs> about his portrayal in the movies. I mean, I don't think he was that bad in the book. But in the movies, they definitely made him uh, pretty pathetic. If you look at him, though, if someone, like, if I saw the animation and they're like, he's a poet, like, yeah, <laughs> he looks like a poet. Yeah, maybe that's what they're going for when they animated maybe. it. Maybe. They did their research. This is a smarter movie than I thought. So he laments out loud, as poets do, and then he comes across some beggars who <laughs> simultaneously harass and flatter him. I love these guys. They're like, oh, you look rich. And then they, I don't know, they just... It's like back and forth. It's like stroking his face and then slapping him. <laughs> what you gotta, what you gotta do is a trick. You gotta lure them, push them away a little bit, and then bring them back. <laughs> and every time they'll come a little bit closer, <laughs> and then you go in for the win. That sounds awful. <laughs> it's it's not that bad, young lovely. It's quite good. Don't. It works <laughs> just as much as a lie. <laughs> uh, then they threaten him. <laughs> Which is another one of your tactics. Yeah, that's the pushing away and keeping them away. <laughs> well, we got some M. Night Shyamala stuff going on here. Because one has one leg and the other one's blind. Yeah, and then they reveal that they were lying the whole time. And I don't know what's more like of a twist. That they're not crippled or that Pierre can run. <laughs> <laughs> I can run faster than anybody I know. Yeah, and he got some nice obvious looping animation. <laughs> Him running, them chasing him, him running, them chasing him. And he looks at the screen when he runs. <laughs> yeah, he does. He just mugs to the camera. Well, he's got some... First he has a little bit of fear. Then he has some pride. He's like, I'm actually running. And then he's like, I got these guys. It's like the different facial reactions he's going through. He's going uh, through the motions. Then some more evil beggars surround him. And he runs the other way using like the same, <laughs> the same animation. <laughs> that's that's cheating. <laughs> then he uses a random ladder to escape to the rooftops. And it zooms in on the ladder. I'm like, this movie makes me think I'm stupid. I want to uh, point out at this point that the movie is called The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then on the rooftops, he's, he's spying spying and he sees a bunch of disabled beggars reveal themselves to be perfectly able-bodied those lying f- <laughs> and uh, nothing's real anymore <laughs> they're scamming people out of their coin There's life is fake one guy has a blindfold and a sign around his neck that says he's blind blind that's not necessary how do you write it if he's blind <laughs> why did why did this happen? this reminds me of my old neighborhood <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> in the most graceful uh, turn of events, Pierre falls off a roof, breaks a car to hay, tumbles through a window onto someone's table, and then onto the floor. Ezio Auditori, he is not. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good day for Pierre. <laughs> Keep in mind. <laughs> You're usually worse. This is probably the best day of his life. <laughs> <laughs> That's saying something. So, it turns out he's in Esmeralda's hood, uh, the slums, nicknamed the Court of Miracles. And uh, he's quickly introduced to Kilopen Shuifu, <laughs> a guy dressed like a jester who proclaims himself the king of the poor, 
and his annoying ass parrot. But honestly, that's quite a title, King of the Poor. King of the like. I think in the book it was King of the. There was a word they, that they referred to themselves as. And I... Yeah, I don't remember. I only remember the end because that really messed me up. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most dignified thing in my memory of the book. But as I watched this, actually, I re- parts were coming back to me because there are parts that are very close to the book. Yeah, which is unfortunate. But he, uh, Clopin, if you remember him from the Disney movie, he was that, like, fun-looking, cartoony jester guy. Oh, he's the, the one that's telling the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he sings that song, The Bells in Notre Dame or whatever. In yeah. this, Clopin looks like... Uh, he looks like the king of Hyrule from those bad Zelda CDI games. <laughs> just with a jester hat. Yeah. And he's real angry. Like, he's as angry as, as Frollo, just always scowling. But he's got the parrot, though, to keep him happy. <laughs> happy that as he can be. That parrot's not keeping anyone happy. That parrot's <laughs> annoying. Actually, it could be why he's always in a pissy mood. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He doesn't look nearly as cool as he did in the Disney movie at all. But he uh, he he tries to decide what crime Pierre is guilty of. This reminds me of the book The Trial by Kafka. Because, <laughs> like, you're on trial. He's like, but for what? What did I do? <laughs> like, that's, like, the very first thing that happens in that book. <laughs> but, yeah, the parrot, the damn parrot, decides he's guilty of trespassing. <laughs> he kind of is. I guess. On accident. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Clopin then bitches about his life and acts like Gringoire had anything to do with it. He's like, but I'm not rich. He's like, it's people like you ruining our lives. He looks rich, though. I'd probably mug him. (laughs) So he gives Gringoire the choice to be hanged or to join his band of beggars. That'd be so cool. So what happened to Quasimodo? (laughs) He's taking a nap. He's ringing bells. He does his thing. This he was, part, he was uh, arrested. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's probably in, like, the, the drunk tank or something like that. Like, once you're arrested, you just want to drink, right? But this part kind of reminds me of not only the trial, but because it's, like, a bunch of homeless people on a trial against someone that's above them, in a sense. Kind of reminds me of the movie M. Pierre isn't above anyone. <laughs> well, he doesn't. But, like, he does have... I'm pretty sure he's more well-off than the homeless people, though. Yeah, well... Arguably. <laughs> he He's riches in the <laughs> I'm just kidding. Rolling in the <laughs> Yeah. So, uh... They hang a dummy covered in bells from a noose and make Gringoire balance on an old stool and pick its pocket without ringing any bells, which is actually taken straight from the book. Yes, and I was excited about that, because that's I actually really like that. Uh, punishment for failure is death, because, God, these people must be bored. <laughs> but you can either choose hanging, or you can choose a chance, a very slim chance. It's like a fair game. Like a game you play at the fair. Oh, I thought no. It's like no, no, not fair. It's not fair at all. That's why I said, like a game you play at the fair. <laughs> Which it's is rigged by a carny. Yeah. yeah, punishment for failure is death. He trips and he takes out the dummy right as Esmeralda arrives home, and she says, "You can't hang him for this." Uh, he insists though and calls her little sweets. 
Eddie, Eddie, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Little sweet. I gotta, I gotta hang out with Eddie. I think he'd help me out with my game. <laughs> no, no. I, I, he's got game. And this movie is like thirty years old, so no. Esmeralda says if a woman marries him, then uh, he'll have to join the family. It's because customs. Okay, I want to say that's not too bad, but by the choice of women, <laughs> he was very lucky. <laughs> yeah, all the it pans across all the women. They're all old and fat, except Esmeralda. <laughs> and a few women refuse, and then Esmeralda, of course, agrees to marry him. They do like this weird jar smashing ritual. <laughs> yeah, and then they get they, married. There is no tradition. Or there's no, like, formal no, thing about just, that. You just smash it. Hey, jar. take this jar. Smash it on the ground. You're married. How many people do you think Link from Zelda is married to? Yeah. All those jars. <laughs> if you smash someone's jar, are you married to them? I don't know. Because what I was thinking is, because you're smashing so many jars in Zelda, do you think that's why uh, Majora's Mask is that moon coming after you? <laughs> You think that's his actual wife and he's pissed of all these other women? <laughs> Link caused the apocalypse. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not saving the day if you were the one who caused it. Yeah. Can't. It's just you fixing your own mistakes. <laughs> exactly. So Gringoire then thanks Esmeralda for marrying him, saying it's much more than she deserves. Much more than he deserves. Uh, and she agrees. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this conversation... <laughs> Is straight out of the book, too. Like, after when she's saying, we're married only by name. Yeah. But, yeah, he says, oh, thank you so much. And she's like, yeah, don't think about it. I don't care about you. This is more than you deserve. I love someone else, and our marriage is a sham. <laughs> yeah. But it, like, that's, that whole conversation's from the book, and I was actually really shocked. <laughs> I don't know why, but I was. She then pro- professes, then and there, her love for Phoebus. In front of her new husband. Phoebus. Ponchi. We cut to Frollo's alchemy lab among the crypts of the Notre Dame. Uh, he's working on some some bubbly fluid. <laughs> it, it, he's going for a green meth. <laughs> Blue's too pure. He's going a little bit under. Green. Yeah. Then the archbishop shows up with urgent business to discuss. Then he hides only one bottle yeah. Potion. <laughs> he just throws his, a rag over it. Uh, over his bong that Tom's been huffing before he speaks his quasi. <laughs> yeah. So he accuses Frollo of practicing alchemy. Frollo lies terribly. <laughs> He's like, well, no, me. You're in my alchemy lab, but. <laughs> <laughs> this old <old's> thing. <laughs> Picks up gold. Is this what you're doing? <laughs> Looking for gold. Do you think no. that was like a sample bit of gold? Or that was just he successfully made gold? <laughs> it's still a little wet from the last batch of gold. So, uh, the Archbishop mentions that Quasimodo was arrested for kidnapping. Wow! That's an actual mention of Quasimodo. <laughs> it's been like 10 minutes in. <laughs> so Frollo expresses surprise in dialogue only. <laughs> Because his pissed off face and vocal intonation don't change a bit. <laughs> Why are you here? Quasimodo was arrested. Oh, really? 
<laughs> but uh, Frollo says he doesn't know anything about it, but refuses to testify in court. Yeah, I'll show up. Don't you think that'll implement me? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Not suspicious. And then, like, as the Archbishop leaves, it zooms out, and you can see, like, those twirly tubes. <laughs> you know, like... The liquid twirls to like a twisty straw kind of thing oh. and then drops. It's more alchemy stuff. I'm like, it's very blunt and obvious. <laughs> why'd, you, why'd you hide this little thing? Speaking of blunt, let's move back to Quasimodo. <laughs> so the bailiff at court is trying to get the dumb, confused, deaf old judge's attention. I hate that guy. In the movie's first attempt at comedy then the judge tries to write with an uninked feather and the bailiff gives his, his best like i hate you so f***ing much face <laughs> <laughs> then the bailiff announces that quasimodo is accused of consorting with witches and conspiring with them to kidnap for evil purposes what <laughs> look at look at quasi he couldn't hurt a fly since when is he since witches <laughs> Why? When? Yeah, you just kind of threw that in there. I just realized that actually. So well, you gotta you gotta sell it though. You, you're taking this guy. Yeah, like, kidnapping's boring. This guy kidnapped her. Is that all? And he's a witch. Yeah, actually, it's there's two trials in both trials. Yeah. There's a second offense of being a witch. I think they just like they, God damn it, we didn't meet our witch quota. <laughs> You witch, you witch. Is that three? Witch, witch, oh. witch. Show of hands, yeah. witch. Four witch, five witches. Okay, we need one more witch. Warlock. So we got four witches and a warlock. <laughs> Does that count? Last call. So the judge asks Quasimodo's name, and Quasimodo says in his terrible voice that he's deaf. <laughs> why? Why was I complaining about the lack of this character? <laughs> I'm not okay with this. Go. I, w I care about Esmeralda. Go, go back to her. Yeah, no, I actually really care about Quasi. His voice makes me want to punch him in the throat. Someone And maybe did. open it up. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, though Quasimodo shows has shown no signs of being deaf, because he answered Frollo's call earlier from the bell well, tower... He he never actually answered him. He came down asking if it was supper time. Right when he called him. That's just good timing, I guess. And now he's answering the judge's questions, though late. Like the yeah, judge, in the wrong order. Yeah, the, yeah. The judge asks him a question. He answers a different question. The judge asks, but he's still answering them. He's, but he's deaf. God damn it. But what I find weird. What I found weird was. The judge could hear him perfectly fine, and he has a softer voice than the guy yelling at the judge right beside him. So, do you think Quasimodo could become, like, the, like, the deaf daredevil? <laughs> oh my god. He's partially blind, too. Yeah. He can see out of one eye. Yeah, he's even, he's like daredevil meets Hawkeye. Can we do this? <laughs> no. I think this is a comic. No. We're doing this. No. Alright guys, so we're going to have a spin-off comment? No. <laughs> so people start laughing at Quasimodo for answering the questions out of order. He starts laughing too, because apparently deaf people can hear laughter. You can notice the laughter though. 
Why am I? Why am I? Don't defend him. Yeah, why am I? But no, you can notice laughing. Poor old Wheezy. Essentially, the scene is just dumbass Quasimodo pissing off the dumbass judge and the dumbass clairvoyant watching the <laughs> movie <laughs> and is taken to the square to be flogged. Finally, something I can get behind. <laughs> so he says, take him to the Place de la Grève, which is the Place de la Grève. Thank you very much. You did good with the other words. <laughs> if you're doing a French movie, you should do your research. So then the gimp from Pulp Fiction downs a whole tanker to beer and gets his whip ready. Do it. <laughs> do it. Okay, Quasi is living the life right now. He's tied up in town square. Yeah. Yeah, in the middle of no, like in the middle of everybody with a whip. <laughs> that is the life. It depends what you're into, I guess. Yeah, that's like my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> so we don't actually see Quasimodo get whipped. We just see him like silently look shocked, like a kid getting spanked. This is dark for kids, to be honestly. <laughs> that that's why they kind of have to. <laughs> and you can hear like a slapping noise. And he's, oh, it's like. And he doesn't cry, he doesn't whine, he doesn't yell out. <laughs> he doesn't seem to care or mind being tied up. And then just like I said. Then just casually asks for a drink of water. <laughs> Please, sir, can I have another? <laughs> just like just thinking like, why is this happening? What's this guy doing? I'm thirsty. <laughs> so he asks for a, a sip of water. Fing dumb voice. And uh, people just continue to laugh at him until old uh, Mayonnaise skin himself. Claude Frollo <laughs> comes up like he said he wouldn't. He just kind of scowls and leaves. <laughs> and then Esmeralda brings him water. <laughs> you realize he kidnapped you, right? Hey, she's she's got a she's got a pure soul. <laughs> I want to say though that this is like, cause you know how we mentioned it's like Scooby Doo. Yeah. Well, and how every audience member looks like Count Chocula. Yeah. And how um, Esmeralda looks kind of like the one character from Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island. Oh, Tara, Tara <laughs> Strong's character, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all the all the village people aside from our main characters look like like hillbillies in medieval garb, like cartoon hillbillies. <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, he he calls Esmeralda beautiful because everyone has to love Esmeralda. And she leaves to go do some tricks with Jolly, including spelling Phoebus's name out and tapping the time. Uh, then Gringoire half-acidly collects the money. Huh. And <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> if anyone should die. So Esmeralda sees Phoebus and makes Gringoire do some tricks on his own so she can put the moves on him. He f- up like the he is he won't make it in as a homeless person i can tell you that he's like spinning plates and then jolly takes him out he does do a good job for what he did yeah i guess it's jolly's fault really yeah jolly so he sees uh esmeralda and phoebus make a date his wife with another man and then you can hear his heart break yeah he dejectedly (laughs) walks away while a pissed off frollo broods in the shadows again because <laughs> that's what he does. He's a villain. And he's got to do the Mr. Burns thing with his fingers. <laughs> Plotting his next move. <laughs> While saying romantic, then rapey <laughs> things. 
Yes. As Quasimodo's released, Frollo chats with Gringoire about his marriage with Esmeralda as, like, an information-scoping mission. And God, he's practically lime green. He's, like, <laughs> his skin is not a natural tone. <laughs> Keep in mind, I don't think any tone except for maybe Esmeralda's is, like, in this movie. Everything's just pale and off-color. And then the eyes... The eyes are flesh tone. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a zoom in. I don't know where and when, but there's a part where it's close up on his face and they blink. And it's the trippiest thing I've ever seen because the eyelid is flesh color and the eyes are flesh color. <laughs> I'm like, did he just blink or wink? Frollo decides he's going to crash their date. <laughs> <laughs> cool dude. And because of this, Pierre proclaims him a saint. Saint Mayonnaise. <laughs> so I want to point out that my copy of the DVD, or while I was watching it, at this point it's been pretty consistently choppy and skipping through the court since the courtroom scene. It's pissing me off. It was just like, it's just it kept skipping. I, I eventually I... re rewatched it, God, but <laughs> it it worked better. But the first time, ugh. Yeah, when I watched it, it was perfectly fine. Same copy. Yeah. Well, hey, you got a second view of it. Yeah. Good Woo. job. <laughs> I had to write the plot synopsis. <laughs> so Esmeralda waits for Phoebus and and then just runs into his arms as soon as he arrives. Ooh, that's forward. <laughs> and when she when she mentioned, th this is another part where I connected with Pierre was when she told Pierre that she's meeting with. Phoebus. You connected with Pierre because he's a cuckold. No. <laughs> no, he he's like, oh, I guess I'll just eat supper alone. I'm like, what's wrong with being alone? <laughs> he's not a cuck. Well, <laughs> he's probably in the crack somewhere. Like, you can probably see his flush tone eye in the crack of somewhere. Watching. Yeah. I know your every move. So she runs into Phoebus's arm, and then Frollo appears out of nowhere and stabs him in the back. Holy <laughs> Holy sh what? <laughs> Kids movie. That <laughs> uh, <I> was... <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so a guard then wakes up the fainted Esmeralda and promptly arrests her. I like where this movie's going. <laughs> that was dark, though. Yeah. I've been making fun of the plot, among other things, but I do want to point out at this point that the movie is, like, so far, really accurate to the book. Much more than the Disney movie. Which I was really excited about. I think that's why I liked it. Probably more than like Actually. a kid's movie should be. True to a Victor Hugo novel. Yeah, <laughs> especially a Victor Hugo. But no, I think that's exactly why I liked it. Because it, it was bringing back... Memories. Things. Yeah. Nostalgia. So I'm mentioning oh, yeah. at this point, because the book is all dark and downhill from here. And I'm interested to see if the movie follows suit. So my copy is just getting, like, choppier at this point. <laughs> like, it, like, I swear to God, Vince Offer was trying to sell it to me to cut vegetables. So we're in the courtroom, again, and the guard testifies that Esmeralda is a witch. <laughs> and that she tried to kill Phoebus. Before an actually competent judge this time. Yeah, actually, I think that's also... I This part, I am not sure... Honestly, but I think in the book they actually had two different judges because Esmeralda actually is framed for murder, so that's something he actually can hold up in court. Whereas Quasimodo, 
it's it's not as strong evidence or anything. So I think and because he's ugly and stuff, so they wanted to get like a feeble <laughs> Phoebus. No, feeble Phoebus. Yeah. Oh, if only. <laughs> but no, they wanted to get like a feeble um idiot judge. <laughs> yeah, an idiot. So he'd end up in I could be wrong about that one though. It's been a long time since I read it. But so then the bailiff suggests torture. <laughs> and the oh, the gimp from Pulp Fiction appears. He's like, Torture, where? So Oh my god. So she's sentenced for witchcraft and murder and taken to the torture chamber. Torture is implied, just like stabbing and whipping. <laughs> and Esmeralda apparently confessed to the whole murder. I wonder what they did. Yeah. Why didn't they show that? Because she's a strong Maybe it's like woman. martyrs. Oh, we don't. We, <laughs> that's, that is, there's a dark point in my life. And you walked right into it. So the judge decides that now she must be tried as a witch. And if proven, of course, she must be burned at the stake. So the bailiff then uses her tambourine and cards to prove that Esmeralda is a witch. Now, this makes no f- sense. Because the bailiff says, I can prove that she can control the goat's mind with this yeah. tambourine and these cards. And then he proceeds to, in his words, control the goat's mind. <laughs> Okay, you just proved yourself a witch. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we prove the bailiff is capable of witchcraft, and as such, Esmeralda is sentenced as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Judge John Goodman decides she's guilty, and uh, so as she's being prepared at the stake, back in the Place de la Grève, Quasimodo uh, is just kind of doing parkour in the background. He repels down a building, <laughs> like... I wish I could do that. And for his, like, size and, like, that hump. Yeah. That can't be. His lovely lady lumps. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> so, yeah, what a badass. <laughs> his back's got a badonkadonk. <laughs> so, Frollo shows up at Esmeralda's execution, and she recognizes him as uh, Los Diablos. I don't know if that's... I don't speak Spanish. As the devil... <laughs> The person who's, who stabbed a Phoebus. And she's been accusing the devil. Yeah. This whole time, too. And uh, he just readily admits to stabbing Phoebus. <laughs> After suspiciously looking yeah, he around. looks around. He's like, yeah, I did it. But uh, <laughs> he offers her her life if she agrees to live with him in the cathedral. And she says that she would rather die. That's such sass. Yeah. So he's like, whatever. He leaves her to die, but he he points out that Phoebus isn't even dead. <laughs> yeah, he's. I'm, this is what bugs me. He points at Phoebus in the background. Why does nobody see him? He's on a horse. Yeah, I know he marches past, and she calls out to him. Not really. She's kind of Phoebus, <laughs> and he he doesn't hear. So Frollo's like, he's ignoring you, you little. Sh-. <laughs> and how can Phoebus be so naive to what's going around? Oh, a crowd. Let's just walk past. And then, like, he's he's in the city or, like, wherever they are. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's there. How does nobody see him? How does he manage to slip through the cracks? He's He's got a... He's the only person in the town that owns a horse. <laughs> yeah. This is, he sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> so, yeah, he convinces her that Phoebus is ignoring you and she wishes for death. Jesus Christ. I don't know. 
I'd probably wish for death instead of Claude myself. So as Claude Frollo tells them that Esmeralda refused penance and proceed with the execution, a Rainbow Six agent, Quasimodo, <laughs> swings down just in time and takes out like the torch-wielding guard, rescues Esmeralda with just the dumbest look on his face. He looks, the second he grabs her, he looks, it's like... He turns to the camera, he just mugs straight at us, and gives the dopiest f***ing grin I've ever seen in my it's life. It's like he's never touched a person, not even a woman, <laughs> but a person in his life. He's just so happy. And then he swings away to the cathedral and claims sanctuary. That warmed my heart. I hate you. He touched a woman. For some reason... I was, I don't know why, but I was actually surprised when Phoebus was alive. I didn't see it coming for some reason. He's alive in the book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I'm like, did they actually kill him in this book or in this movie? No. <laughs> so then Frollo exposits, damn it, sanctuary means Esmeralda cannot be touched inside cathedral walls. And he curses Quasimodo with some of the worst dialogue I have ever heard. Hey, Quasi's just doing his job. He says, curse you, curse that monster that I raised since childhood and adopted as my own. That's a word vomit. <laughs> and he kept him hidden his whole life. Now he's admitting he raised this <laughs> bastard. We're way too late in this movie for exposition. <laughs> yeah. So in the cathedral, <laughs> Quasimodo just watches as well to sleep. And she wakes up and freaks the f*** out. That happens in the book, by the way. Does it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, freaking out is definitely understandable. <laughs> so she asks where he she is, and he answers, because he's deaf. <laughs> and then he, then he announces that he's deaf. And he mentions Again. he can read lips, which apparently he couldn't do in the courtroom. And yeah. he could read Frollo's lips in the basement alchemy lab from the bell tower. Okay, I'm still defending him on that one. It was just good timing. <laughs> He's deaf when it serves the plot. <laughs> so he gives a free roam of the sanctuary, except for the West Wing. You are never to go there. Uh, but he, then he admits he knows he's ugly. And she, he says, you don't have to see me if you don't want to. And then she has the great line. The award-winning line. <laughs> I'm sorry for being as silly as all the others, judging you as ugly because of your face. <laughs> she just straight out admitted. I'm sorry I called you ugly because you look like you got hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry it looks like we poured sulfuric acid over your head. Uh... <laughs> He then, in probably the darkest line in the movie, he claims that he wishes he was blind so he didn't have to see the way people's flesh crawled when they looked at him. Holy oh, that Now I know how you feel. Yeah, right? <laughs> Wait, me personally? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I get, yeah. Except I can see their reaction, which is the worst part, so I'm kind of jealous of Kazi. Because he only's got one eye. Yeah, he can just close it. <laughs> now I gotta you, put you effort. Have, I have two eyes to close, and sometimes I forget and only close one. <laughs> well, I got an extra effort. <laughs> I guess I could close my eyes. So he tells her to sleep and climbs away. And we cut to later where Ezreal is crying in her bed and not sleeping. 
Uh, Frollo approaches, all like Nosferatu shadow style, <laughs> probably angrily, <laughs> and then he curses. He curses her for his lust for her. This straight up victim shaming. <laughs> you, I say, oh, I, I hate you. Why? Because you're f- hot. Because <laughs> I want your bod. It's like you're messing with my brain, woman. I'm trying to make gold. <laughs> And I got you. He straight up pulls up a knife. Pulls out a knife, and then Quasimodo tackles him. And, uh... <laughs> he heard him coming. He heard all this going on. Actually, this this was really frustrating for me. Because, like, I could hear everything going on, and Quasi's just ringing bells and doing <laughs> his thing. I'm like, Quasi, come on. So then Frollo blames Esmeralda for Quasimodo tackling him. <laughs> <laughs> he gets pissed and leaves. Like he's just like, woman. They bring out the worst in people. Because <laughs> well, he, he, he says it's witchcraft. It's it is weird. The weird thing with this dude is it's clearly like directly ripped from the film because it's got like little specks and like like it's not. They did not it was just it was, digitally like, remaster it. It's they should though. No, I disagree. No, and you know what they should do after they digitally remaster it? Have it on Blu-ray, and they should uh, put in those, like, tin comic book covers. And then it'll still be $1 at your local discount shop. Yeah, it's a profit. Later, Quasimodo brings Esmeralda breakfast, and he says he will cheer her up by playing her a song on the bells, which he acts like they are sentient. So I want to point out at this... We are eight minutes away from the end, and what is this? Shit? Uh, Quasi is bat crazy. Well, he's starting to get crazy. He's treating the bells like women, like how so, he should be treating Esmeralda. So I do, I do like how he named the bells, like in the book. Yeah. Uh, even the same name from the book, but otherwise the scene is long and stupid and can go straight to hell. <laughs> See, I think the reason why this is so long is the whole reason why that black screen is like 15 seconds i feel like they had a quota of an hour and then they didn't even make after, an hour right i think after the scene they're like ah, you know what screw it we're, we're basically there <laughs> yeah there it, it's like i didn't count but i'd say it's at least a good 30 seconds of him swinging on bells and ringing them and it's annoying and he's on one bell for at least two <laughs> maybe four seconds it's uh uh, after, after that pain, he sees some townspeople about to attack the cathedral. Oh, yeah. Oh. In the this book, re- if I remember, it's uh, the the poor, the uh, the people, yeah, the Chopin's poor troop. And he, yeah, he thinks that they're attacking, but they're actually trying to rescue her. Yeah, because they want uh, her out of there because they think she- She's held captive, I believe. In the movie, however, it's actually just townspeople <laughs> trying to attack the cathedral. Because they think she's a witch. Yeah. So he tries to drive them off by dropping several like random cinder blocks he found on them. <laughs> and, and he's having a lot of fun with this. Esmeralda brilliantly deduces the noise must be a parade! And <laughs> tries to make it to the tower to watch. She's a bright one. <laughs> Meanwhile... The townsfolk are trying to club down the door with sticks. <laughs> They're banging on it. They're just hitting it. And they're like, ah, oh, I think we're making progress. I think, weren't they kicking it as well? 
I don't know. Or they're just pounding on it with their fists. They're doing something really stupid aside from the clubs. Then they acquire a magic battering ram from the heavens. <laughs> Quasi just helps them out. Yeah, he throws down a battering ram. Use this! <laughs> but he, uh... Then he pours boiling oil on them. Oh, shit. We see a guy get drowned in boiling oil. Yeah. <laughs> That's so like, awesome! Quasi's, like, parading, too. Like, he's like, Yeah! Yeah! Die! <laughs> in different words. But no, he's, like, he's having the time of his life. Good old Quasi. This is his good day. Better than Pierre's. By the way, what happened to Pierre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... I don't know. They dropped him. They just <laughs> forgot that he existed. So Esmeralda watches the beautiful parade go by. Pierre married Jolly. That's what happened. Probably. <laughs> we also haven't seen, but that makes more sense. So Esmeralda watches the beautiful parade go by. As Frollo creeps up on her and starts like smelling her hair and sh- And tries <laughs> to throw her off the tower. Which Quasimodo notices, and then he, like, Spider-Man swings across gargoyles and tackles, uh, Rodney Rotten. <laughs> <laughs> and he throws Claude right off of that building. Yeah, there's, there's a brief struggle, and then he throws Frollo off the tower to his death. Whoa! Whoa! There's an actual, there's an actual death. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Yeah! Not counting the people in the oil. Because they might still be alive. This is a definite... It's like the Whedonverse podcast. We have to have a death count. Yeah. (laughs) A children's movie death count. (laughs) The crowd gets pissed, but then Phoebus marches through and orders them to cease. Everyone is surprised to see him alive, even though he marched through the town earlier and no one said a goddamn thing. And I don't know how he's still marching through the town and no one notices. Like, he's like, like it's been dudes, days. Are you like what are you that dumb? <laughs> so, so here's uh here's the the moneymaker. Phoebus delivers the worst monologue in recorded history. Proclaiming that child did not murder me, nor any other man. You would have executed an innocent woman. That woman has committed no sin in her entire life, except to be born beautiful. And then, oh it my starts. god! What? Is that another line I'm supposed to be taking to the bar? No. You are guilty of being beautiful. I just charmed all our listeners. <laughs> they love me. So old, old Punch McGregor. Punch McGregor. Actually, that sounds like a guy's name. You should probably put Angela in there. (laughs) Nah. He turns to Quasimodo and says that he is guilty of the same crime, proclaiming Quasimodo the most beautiful man ever born. Honestly, though, when I was a kid, I found him attractive in the Disney movie. (laughs) (laughs) A little guilty pleasure. (laughs) Then I watched the Disney movie, and as an adult, you. So let's recap. Phoebus says, That woman has committed no sin in her entire life, except to be born beautiful. Esmeralda says, 
Quasimodo is guilty of the same crime. He's the most beautiful man ever born. <laughs> She's reaching for the stars there. And then he walks away, and he stares off in the distance and smiles. The end. So he's beautiful, that's... What? What? That is... A... I understand this is a kid's movie. What the hell was that? There really wasn't much of a conclusion either. In the book. In the book, what happens is... Oh, it's the saddest thing. Esmeralda is hanged. Then Frollo is thrown off the ta- tower because he's laughing at her funeral. And then Quasimodo dies mourning her grave. Well, what happens is Quasimodo takes her... No, doesn't he take her body and then disappears? And then people find a deformed skeleton holding another skeleton in yeah. a cave or something? Yeah, something like and, that. And that's the most, like, poetic and romantic, but the most saddest thing <laughs> I've ever poetic. heard. And that's... So technically, this is the book is the only time Quasi ever got the girl. <laughs> but she was cold. <laughs> And also in the book, uh, Phoebus, or not Phoebus, Phoebus goes on and marries someone else. And uh, Pierre ends up becoming, you know, the Pierre Gringoire, a famous poet of tragedies. Nice. Good for him. He (laughs) probably did that in this movie, too. We just don't know. He existed in real life, so. One thing I really wish that they did, I don't know if... Because I haven't seen every Hunchback movie out there. But there needs to be one where they have Esmeralda's backstory and her mom. Because that's you mean messed up. Agnes's backstory? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but um, when Esmeralda, or I guess Agnes, when she was born, her mom was so excited. So she left Agnes on the bed and went out to tell everybody. And then. She came back, and there was, I think there was, like, one boot left behind, and Agnes was missing. So it turned out that a bunch of gypsies kidnapped her, and she had thought that they kidnapped her and ate her. I don't but remember they, that. <laughs> but they raised her as her own. Something like this. It, I'm a little hazy on it. But then what happens is, later on, uh, Agnes's, I guess Esmeralda, I don't know, what, whatever name you want to go with. Eggie. Um, yeah, Eggie. Ezzy. I'll stick with Ezzy. Punch. <laughs> Punch. But um, they, she reunites with her mom. And at first, when they're doing the trial and stuff, she's like, burn her. She's basically telling her own, saying that her own daughter should burn because she she's a gypsy, but right? How would so, either of them recognize each other? Well, what happens is Esmeralda has another boot that's tied around her. Oh, okay. So what happens is she comes up, I can't remember why or when, but she ends up coming up next to the cell, and her mom realizes the boot. She's like, where'd you get that boot? And then they realize that Esmeralda's her daughter. So this is their reconnection where her mom's in jail. And Esmeralda, yeah, it's it's really heartwarming. (laughs) So they have this little moment. And then later on, when uh, Esmeralda is going to get hung, Esmeralda's being dragged away, and Agnes is fighting back, or something like this. And then Agnes kind of jerks switch from Esmeralda to Agnes like that. I know, right? It's weird. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm having the switch, but um, 
her mom jerked away or something like that, and then she fell, hit her head, hit her neck on the stairs, and broke her neck and died. <laughs> and then they hung Esmeralda. I love Victor Hugo. <laughs> and then, and then Quasi comes, takes her, and then dies next to her in a cave. Yeah. Happy ending. Everyone dies. What were your thoughts going in to the movie, and how did they change? I thought, made for TV movie, this is going to be awful, like yeah. most of them. <laughs> and and afterwards, I actually really liked it. Well, not really liked it, but I I enjoyed it, and I would probably buy it for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> See, I it's like a cigarette. This was one of the uh, when I picked out the the. The movie's spoilers, it wasn't actually a blind buy. Uh, (laughs) When I picked it out, this was the one that looked the worst. And so uh, that's why I grabbed it. And that's why it's our beautiful first episode. And I didn't enjoy it. But it's not as bad as I thought it'd be. And I give it too harsh of a ribbing than it deserves. (laughs) I'd actually watch it again. I'm kind of jealous. I did watch it again. I know. I'm so excited for you. One special listener will will get to watch it forever and ever for the rest of their lives. If you get this movie, can you invite me over to watch it with you? (laughs) I'd have so much fun. So, uh, who do you think was the MVP of this movie? It's Tom! It's gotta be Tom! I say Tom Berlinson as well. Not because I like him, because I want to kill him. We should have said at the same time. But I think I'm thinking what you're thinking. One, two, three, Tom. In oh. Tom's voice. <laughs> so uh what what would you say? What was your favorite line from the movie? Do you remember? I like the ending when everyone's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> or anything Pierre says because it's so pathetic. So my favorite line is actually coming up because it's metalish. <laughs> um we'll get to that in a bit here. But before we do that, who would you recommend this movie to? I actually think kids might like it. I agree. Yeah, I'd say someone with kids. But the thing is, it's really dark. And uh, someone who was born in the 70s and watched (laughs) this in the 80s and is like one of those people that are like, modern animation is garbage. What happened to traditional animation? (laughs) Those people. Or someone that watched a lot of Scooby-Doo, because the whole thing did feel like a Scooby-Doo episode. A little bit, I find. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll get to my favorite line here, because <laughs> you were going to do it in your best Quasimodo voice. Oh, and I do a mean Quasimodo. A mean Tom Berlinson. Oh, yeah. So the line is, I must tell you something. I am quite deaf. The bells have shattered my ears. I must tell you something. I am quite deaf. The bells have shattered my ear. Oh my! I I've done better to this yeah. whole episode. It's it's. The, I must tell you something. There you go. I am quite deaf. The bells have shattered my ears. That was good. I I I put my bong away, so I can't quite do it anymore. <laughs> so that's uh. Can this be a reoccurring thing where we just try to do? 
I the, feel it will be. <laughs> the actor of the episode's voice. I think it'll just always be Quasimodo. Yeah. <laughs> so so our verdict is a yay from Bloody Brody, a nay from the clairvoyant. Your horse. <laughs> and uh You want some hay for that nay? Nay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and so that is the Hunchback of Notre Dame, a storybook classic. Bing, 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 bing. That's my bells. I don't know if you've noticed, but this entire episode you've been slowly and sporadically serenaded by the Profanity Orchestra. The piece today has been The Bells of Notre Dame. So there's our first episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as it agonized me to watch the movie and edit the podcast. Remember that you can follow me on Twitter, at BlindBuy, or enter our contest on Twitter, at BlindBuy, and on Facebook.com slash BlindBuyPodcast. You can also follow Brody, at BloodyBrody, on Twitter. Special thanks to HHWLOD for hosting us, my parents for letting me sneak into their quiet house to record, and Angela Punch McGregor, who I had unsuccessfully asked to appear on today's episode. Sorry for making fun of you and your movies, Punchy. If you like my voice and my stupid sense of humor, be sure to check out the Whedonverse podcast on HHWLOD and the Tangent Bound Network. All music for this episode is royalty-free and provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.